Hi, 2Xers. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show. I'm your host, Kune Campbell. Have you wondered what growth metrics you need to track if you're looking for potential investors in your e-commerce venture? Or do you have investors in your e-commerce business and would like to know specific metrics to report to these stakeholders? Well, my guest in this week's episode reveals what metrics ambitious, fast growth e-commerce businesses must constantly track. He also talks about how best-in-class, top-performing e-commerce businesses achieve 230% annual growth or higher. And the four core ways these high-growth e-commerce businesses separate themselves from the pack and aggressively grow. It is packed with great info to help you start thinking more about growth metrics and grow your e-commerce operations Take notes because I took a lot of notes. Listen in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the 2X e-commerce podcast show, where we interview founders of fast-growing seven- and eight-figure e-commerce businesses and e-commerce experts. They'll tell their stories, share how they 2 x their businesses, and inspire you to take action in your own online retail business today. And now, here he is, the man, the in, the man mix, in the mix, Kunle Campbell. Hello to Xers. On today's show, I have with me the Vice President of Marketing at RJ Metrics. In case you don't know RJ Metrics, it's an end-to-end marketing analytics platform and dashboard for businesses large and small. They specifically cater for e-commerce, SaaS, and mobile app businesses. Specifically in e-commerce, um, they offer vital stats to help you report on customer acquisition, conversions, and retention. RJ Metrics, personally, is, is a company I've followed for about a year. Um, just because of the content they produce, I've been subscribed to their blog and their LinkedIn company page for a while. So my guest has been with RJ Metrics for about two years. He, um, prior to RJ Metrics, he worked in the capacity as a, of a director of operations at Square Square. I think it's a CMS um, platform. He was also the CEO at um, Argyle Social and a senior consultant at Deloitte Consulting. He also holds an MBA from UNC Chapel Hill. Um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show Tristan Handy, the vice President of Marketing at RJ Metrics. Welcome to the show, Tristan. Thank you. How's it going? Very, very good. Very, very, very good. I loved your uh, your introduction of RJ Metrics. That was like the clearest statement of our value prop I've ever heard. I think uh, I should hire you. <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Quite a diverse um, background. You, you've been in the industry for, for uh, I, I presume, 10 years. I've been in the SaaS space now, software as a service space, since 2009. And I've been following it really closely since 2003. So Squarespace is one of the biggest online CMS solutions right now. And it was founded by uh, my good friend from high school and college, Anthony Casalina, in a dorm room right across the hall from mine. Wow. wow. So so SaaS is kind of running in my blood by now. Fantastic. Was it when you had your MBA or further down? That was undergrad, University of Maryland. Yeah. Interesting. Very, very interesting. So you're Philadelphia based? Yes. Uh, RJ Metrics is in Philadelphia. Okay. And there are not that many startups. And in, in, am I wrong? I know there's DocDocGo, there's a search engine company, but what other startups are in Philadelphia? 
There's a company called Monetate, which does enterprise level content optimization and A-B testing. We just had an, a, a smaller exit company called SnipSnap, which uh, helped people collect coupons. We're certainly no Silicon Valley and, and we're not a, a New York City either, but there's a, there's a vibrant startup scene here. And uh, we, we do pretty well from a hiring perspective with all of the uh, local universities. Right. Okay. Okay. And is, is there kind of like a section in Philadelphia where, where all the startups hang out or <laughs> is, is there like a Silicon roundabout type? I know in London there is. Yeah, I would say that they're all over the place. There are some out in the burbs too, because we have some decent mass transit. But there is this one street, North Third Street. And if you can picture that in your head, N Third Street, it's it's almost like the hacker spelling of Nerd Street. <laughs> and and for one reason or another, there's a bunch of companies on that street. And the mayor is a big fan of the tech scene. And he actually changed some of the street signs to say Nerd Street. <laughs> symbolism at its best. Um, symbolism meets reality. That's interesting. You wonder if it's deliberate or not. <laughs> okay, okay. So you mentioned Argyle Social and... RJ Metrics. I've been mentioning RJ Metrics. Is it one and the same or? No, I'm sorry. Argyle was the last company that I was at. We were a social media management tool, kind of like a business class version of Hootsuite. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, let's go into RJ Metrics. Could you tell our listeners more about RJ Metrics and what you do for e-commerce companies? Because a lot of our listeners run or manage e-commerce companies. Yeah, absolutely. So the company was founded by two guys, Bob Moore and Jake Stein, who were analysts at a venture firm called Inside Venture Partners. And they were responsible for running the numbers behind companies, these big successful e-commerce companies that uh, Insight would invest in. And they realized that they had a better idea of the underlying fundamentals of these companies, you know, what their customer lifetime values were, what their user cohorts looked like, all of this stuff. They knew more about these companies than the companies did themselves. And it was because there was no tool that these companies could use to do these sorts of analysis that were so fundamental to a venture capitalist valuing the business. And so they spun out of, of Insight and they developed a tool to uh, allow online businesses to do these types of analytics that were so very important to running the business well. Interesting. Very, very, very interesting. When was it founded? I think that the, the company's docs say uh, 2008, but that was really Bob and Jake in an attic in New Jersey. I think that the, the first real customers started to come on at the end of 2009. And I actually met the two of them in early 2010. When I was at Squarespace, one of the things that I ran was analytics. And so I was introduced to those guys through Inside Venture Partners, and I used them as a customer. And, and how did you use them while you were at Archive? So this is while I was at Squarespace. And so we were raising money back in 2010. And, you know, VCs want to see a lot of things. And it was pretty time consuming to get all the numbers together to show VCs a, a picture of our business that would give them confidence in, in investing money. And we were able to do a lot of that internally, but it just, it took so much time. So I, I plugged in RJ Metrics and it was amazing yeah. right out of the gate. You, you plugged it into, to what? Into the systems, into, into your accounting system? So we connect to a lot of different things, but the core of what we connect to is a database that runs your platform, whether that's an e-commerce or SaaS platform, we like connect to that database. And that allows us to see all the transactions of all the customers. 
So at Squarespace, right out of the gate, we were able to get real-time counts of how many customers we had, how many new customers we had in the past week, what was user activity like for our various cohorts. We were able to slice all that by acquisition source and all the other things that we needed to do. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. So we're in 2014 now. It's about six, 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 seven years away from startup. How many clients do you have in, in the U.S. and North America at the moment? You know, I don't track the location that well. We're just surpassing the 400 client mark. And definitely the majority of those are in North America. But as the head of marketing, I, I pay close attention to the lead flow. And, and I would definitely say that uh, an increasing number of our leads are from non-US. And I think that that's reflective of the global e-commerce market. Like I think that you know, US-based e-commerce got started earlier than the rest of the world, but the rest of the world is now really growing and catching up. Yeah, the UK is actually ahead on a per capita basis. It's quite interesting. Do, do you have any UK clients we, we, we might know about, our audience might know about? We definitely do. I know that our CEO has a big map in his office where he puts a pin for every, uh, <laughs> for every client. I don't think that I have any that I can say publicly, but I know that the, the London area on his map has a lot of pins in it. Interesting. Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, let's swiftly move into the, the reason you're, you're here on, on the show. I'm going to skip a few questions is the fact that I came across your 2015 e-commerce growth benchmark report, which is published on the 5th of, no, the 4th of February, actually. And it had lots of golden nuggets for me to sink my head in. <laughs> and um, as a result, I have a, you know lots of questions for you here. So I'm going to start off with just describe the methodology of the study. It's for, for listeners, it's a growth benchmark report, which goes beyond the averages. Basically, they dig deep into what makes best in class e-commerce businesses actually grow as fast as they do. So could you just describe, you know, the methodology and analysis of, of the study, please? Yeah, sure. I'll say a couple of different things about it. First of all, this is a, a study that we do on our anonymized client data. So because we're an analytics platform, we have this data from hundreds of, of high growth e-commerce companies. And we obviously, we don't show any of our clients' data, but when we we suck all this in and we anonymize it so that we can provide some aggregate statistics across that entire population. So I think that there's the, the question of uh, representativeness. So is, are we studying our clients or are we studying our, the industry as a whole? And I think that there are really two different sections of the e-commerce market. You know, if you go and look at Shopify, Shopify is this e-commerce platform that's used by, I, I don't know what their customer count is now. I think they're above 10,000 e-commerce stores. And the the average Shopify client is is a little bit on the smaller side. And I mean, they certainly have big companies, but the average is on the smaller side. And I would say is is not trying to dominate the world. They're not trying to be, you know, the the next fab.com. The bootstrappers most of the time, aren't they? Yeah, and, and there's a lot of people today that are opening up uh, e-commerce shops and selling stuff out of their garage or, or, or whatever. We're super excited about that. Those are not the companies that are represented in our report. We're the the types of companies that, that are in our report are frequently venture funded. Um, they're frequently trying to grow to be ten, hundred, hundred million dollar enterprises, and maybe even larger. And we we work with very small companies, but those are the small companies that are trying to get big. We also work with companies who have gotten big. So some of the fastest growing companies in the IR five hundred are our clients. So, so core feature is they're VC funded. 
A lot of them are, yeah. And even the ones that are not, they're they're bootstrapping themselves in a way that they're trying to grow quickly. So they're ambitious e-commerce businesses. Absolutely, yeah. If you're not excited about growing your business, then, um, hey, maybe you, you don't need to use data to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. I love the start of your report. You mentioned the evolution of e-commerce from being the cheaper alternative to a sector akin to innovative products, power brands and digital savvy founders, which which you just alluded to in terms of VC founders. So what part has data played in the success of businesses in the e-commerce sector in the last, say, three to five years, in your opinion? E-commerce is interesting. The first round of this, which is definitely exemplified by Amazon, is let's just take the experience that you previously had in a store and bring it online, and now you can order stuff from your couch. Great. But as the market has matured, you're starting to see e-commerce companies do things that are different. So if you look at Birchbox, Birchbox is not an experience that you could have had as a, as a customer 20 years ago. Like, send me a box of interesting stuff once a month that you know I'm going to like. That just wasn't a thing. So when you're going to explore completely new ways of delivering experiences to customers, either you're going to do it by sheer trial and error and, and guessing. Sometimes that can be okay, but you're going to have a high failure rate in that case. So what these companies are tending to do is as they deliver these new e-commerce experiences, they're using data to see what works and what doesn't work. And they're using that to drive not just their their marketing, but their merchandising and, and really their operations. Everything about these companies is is new. And as a result, they're they're using data as much as they can to, to not run off the rails. Data is quite, a, you know, it's broad. It's quite broad. So what data points do these companies, what key data points do, do they look at to, to make key decisions or for feedback? I just got off the phone last week with a uh, with a company called ConsciousBox. They're one of our customers. They haven't shown up on our website quite yet because we're still still finalizing this story. But they, they're another uh, solution where you get a box delivered to you in the mail of really cool stuff. They use data to show how happy their customers are with the various products in the box. So we connect to their their systems that show their inventory and what they're shipping out. And as a result, they're able to see, okay, we sent these people this stuff and they either were or were not excited about that. Is there a feedback system to determine happiness from, from a customer? And this is just in, in Conscious Box's case. Yeah, so so I can't speak specifically to, to how Conscious Box is doing that, but but, you know, what you find is if you're operating online, you have data feeds all over the place that you may not have necessarily been aware of. What what a lot of companies do is they correlate different product experiences with churn rate or, or conversely repeat purchase rate. So you can look at what people are purchasing and then you can look at whether or not they came back and purchased again. Uh, that's an analysis we do for our clients all the time. So if you like the product you purchased, you probably will purchase again. So those are the kinds of indicators that you can you can get. Okay, okay, that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. So my thoughts, uh, my, my my inclination would be your developers go into the systems of the existing databases and create a custom connection to to databases of your clients um, with RJ metrics. Is that the case, or 
Is it more like a plug-and-play API or something? I, I, it's definitely more plug-and-play than that. For the database connections, you basically provide your login credentials, right? And at that point, we can basically just kind of drag and drop and say, okay, we want to see these things. We want to analyze this parts of the database. And then you do some data modeling on top of that and, and uh, eventually end up building charts. We also connect to a bunch of cloud platforms that are very, really straightforward because everybody's data looks the same. So customer service platforms like Zendesk and Desk.com and a lot of ad platforms, we connect to Facebook ads and Google AdWords. So that that ends up being a lot of the data that we suck in. Quite sure you also connect to analytics or any um, traffic, any traffic. Uh... Yep. We connect to uh, Google Analytics and Mixpanel. People use them a lot. Sorry, sorry to segue. I was just trying to, to figure out, you know, how you guys work. Okay, so, so let's go back to the report. Um, I'd, I'd like to unpick the concept of best in class, you know, e-commerce brands. You, you did mention it at the start of your report. And um, you said they differentiate themselves in, in various ways. Could you expand on features or habits of of best-in-class e-commerce brands. Yeah, absolutely. We wrote about some of this in the forward of the benchmark report, but it, it wasn't actually from our research. We called up a guy named Blake Lyon at Lara Hippo Ventures. They are one of the premier investors in, in VC and he... Sorry, in e-commerce. And he was nice enough to write us a foreword based on their experiences investing in e-commerce companies. So these are the themes that he he outlined. He said that best-in-class e-commerce companies create a near-frictionless buying experience. They make buying really, really straightforward. They're really amazing at building passionate communities. They're really amazing at taking content and commerce and, and blending them together. And then offering a try-before-you-buy experience, which is not something that historically was such a strength of traditional retail. And all of those are, are really combined together into defining these these like mega brands that, that are beginning to be a part of the e-commerce landscape. It's those customer experiences that the customers really love so much. And they, they end up loving the brands that deliver those experiences to them. But all those four, frictionless commerce, communities around the brands, good editorial and content marketing strategy, telling stories really, and a try before you buy. Is it one or the other or all of these features? So I guess I would say that a lot of these companies are still in their, their growth phases. And so as somebody who knows what that feels like, you have to do the things that you do uh, best and really double down on them. My guess is that you'll start to see these best-in-class e-commerce companies do more and more of these things. But the way that they get started is typically they find one thing that they're really good at and they go all in on it. And, and the backup for all of this is really that they make amazing products because that is the foundation for any strong e-commerce brand. But if you look at, at Warby Parker, Warby Parker's Try Before You Buy experience is so strong because it gives you confidence that you're going to look good in those glasses. And it has ended up being a, a, a way of brand advocacy as well. So we actually have people bring their Warby Parker glasses try-on kits to work. And, and everybody has a fun time with it. They try all these different glasses and everyone jokes around about it. And how, how much better of an of a acquisition channel could you get? That's like going to a showroom, isn't it? Exactly. So just to connect to, to what you said you, you know, in best in class, um, you mentioned Casper.com and it's Platted.com. Yep. And, and you said they're attributed to not only building long-lasting consumer brands, but delivering a near-frictionless you know, buying experience. So 
how are these these brands, Casper.com and Platet.com, you know, creating a, a frictionless buying experience? I just want you to expand on this so so customers can, sorry, listeners can get inspiration to see how they can, um, you know, create a frictionless buying experience. So Casper sells mattresses. That's a tough sell because you, you need to fail, have a fail, you know, go on the mattress. To, right, to- right, exactly. And and I think I, I could be wrong, but to my knowledge, they are the first ones who tried to sell mattresses online. You know, I have bought maybe two mattresses in my life, and it's not been the greatest experience in the world because the mattress store feels like a used car store. Like the the salesman is like bugging you while you're laying down on a mattress, <laughs> and and so these guys literally uh, they ship you a mattress and they let you try it for a hundred days. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't believe that 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 works but it does and it's certainly wonderful as a consumer like that's that's the experience that i want do you have to pay anything for that or they are not a customer and i'm not a representative of casper but i don't think that you do i'll put a link to to the website on the show notes anyway so listeners can can list him and have a view okay and then plated well how how do they do it uh plated is an online experience where you can have meals that are ready to cook shipped to you so uh, you'll select some recipes, and they'll ship you all of the ingredients, and and then you can cook it yourself at home. And it's it's not so different from grocery shopping, but it's just different enough that it kind of kind of changes the game. We have always thought of the grocery store experience as being, you know, we're kind of driving that process as the consumer. We're saying, okay, well, we think we should buy a little of this and a little of this, but it turns out that that requires some creative energy. You know, you have to look up the recipe, you have to be a good cook. And Plated is just saying, look, why don't you just tell us the kind of food you like? We'll make sure that you have the right stuff. And then you can just have the fun of putting it together. And that as an experience is so much more fun for for me because I, I don't really want to be researching recipes. I don't really want to make sure that I purchased, you know, the the herb in the corner of Whole Foods. True. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, let's let's move on to to building vibrant communities. Two examples you gave were back and core and, and choppies. Um, and pretty much, you know, Amazon controls the, the the commodity space. Creating communities is the only thing. Affinity with with customers is the key. Is the only way. Really, is the key answer to beating Amazon. So, how have these two brands you mentioned in your report actually been able to achieve communities around around their their, their brand? Bark & Co. Is, is kind of a pretty straightforward example of like you build a company in a space where there is a strong community already, right? So pet owners love talking about their pets. They love engaging with other people about their pets. And if you go to Bark & Co.'s website, you can see that they've created a face for this company that kind of plays to that. Like there's cutesy drawings of dogs at the bottom of the page, and it makes you want a dog. Right. Like it's the kind of thing that that would make you interact and and kind of like let down your guard as a consumer. They don't feel like some big faceless brand. They feel like people who love dogs. Chubby's is pretty interesting. I know just a bit more about Chubby's. They like are also kind of naturally a, a little bit of a silly brand. And their page shows that as well. They've done some cool stuff. So are you familiar with this concept of pop up shops? Yes, I am. Yeah. yeah, so so Chubby's has done some experimentation around pop-up shops, and they started, and I could be remembering this wrong, but I believe that their first pop-up shop was had like a barbecue experience built in. They found out that people in Texas love their shorts, 
And so they were like, all right, we're going to open this pop-up shop and it's going to start off with, with a barbecue. What better pairing of experiences to shorts than Texas barbecues? It's interesting. And yeah, it's more, much more of a challenge trying to build a community around um fashion i guess as compared to 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 a passion like like pets or you know a hobby like fishing and and the like okay let's swiftly move on to the you know well best in clash i also realize flash sale sites tend to have quite high growth rates two examples that come to mind is um, the realreal.com they're a fashion site and no more rack.com they're discounters and um, they've seen well over 250% growth in 2013 yeah. in sales or uh, growth in business. Um, and you also mentioned them in, in your report. Yeah, No More Rack is a customer, and uh, we're super proud of those guys. They have done some really amazing work in the past couple of years. Okay. Right. Let's let's move on to the actual nuts and bolts of the report. Your, your report is based on six fundamental growth metrics. Could you expand on the metrics, please? Sure. We are looking at, at these six metrics and, and we really think that while businesses should look at tons of different things, or really there's like no end of the metrics that you could be looking at as a business owner. These are six that, that really all businesses should know uh, about their, their own business. So first one is average growth rate. How quickly are you growing? That's important internally because you probably have goals around growth, but it's also a huge factor in your ability to raise external capital. So investors are looking at companies primarily based on growth rate in the early stages. Second is average order value. There's not necessarily a right or wrong. Depending on your products, you're going to you're going to charge what makes sense, right? But what's really important for you is to make sure that you keep track of average order value trends over time because it's a way to make sure that you're not over-relying on discounting or, or anything like that. The third one is, is a biggie, customer lifetime value. We did some interesting looks at customer lifetime value. We can talk about that in a second. As a business, customer lifetime value is the best way for you to measure any of your acquisition marketing because what you really want to do is make sure that you're investing money in places that return that money and uh, your ROI calculations there need to be based on a sense of customer lifetime value. I'm going to ask a question about customer lifetime value after you've, you've finished the answering the question. Sure. I have a, a big question. Sure. And then next one is? Okay. Uh, monthly revenue, and that's pretty straightforward. Uh, just how, how much money did you make in a given month? Repeat purchases. It's, it's really important to make sure that you're tracking purchases made by new customers, so their first purchases, versus purchases made by repeat customers, because those have completely different dynamics and they say different things about your business. And then the last one is customer loyalty. So how long are your customers sticking around? How happy are they with with your products and your service? Okay, let's talk about customer lifetime value. Let's give a use case. I'm a business that's been running for, I've run a business for about 24 months now. So, so I sell electronics. How accurately can I find out what my customer lifetime value is and what is a lifetime? And how, how do you factor that into a customer lifetime value? Uh, I love that question. I was literally just having this conversation with somebody who I, I emailed out the benchmark report to, to a thousand people who had asked for it. And, and one guy responded to me saying, hey, we have problems measuring customer lifetime value because, well, they're still alive. So, you know, they haven't died yet. How, how do I know that, that they're not coming back anymore? In that way, if you have a subscription revenue model, like ConsciousBox, you, you subscribe to a, to a monthly uh, box that shows up in your mail, 
you can measure uh, something called churn rate and you can extrapolate that over time and you can get a pretty good idea of, of how long people are going to stay around and what, what the average uh, customer lifetime value is. That is a little bit harder for e-commerce companies. You can do some, some fancy math that, that does predictive CLV. What we recommend that people do when they're getting started is just to pick a, a time frame. So if you're doing acquisition marketing, what you are really looking to do is make decisions on what campaigns are working and what campaigns aren't working so that you can decide where to put your spend. And if you were going to try to do that optimization over the course of two years, that's just not a fast enough decision process for you to, to, to make that optimization. We tend to recommend in that case for people to use 90-day customer lifetime value. So that's a short enough time frame that you can actually make some optimization decisions and it, and it works. It, the thing is, is that criteria better than just looking at your other alternatives? So the other alternatives are either you look at cost per customer or you look at ROI based on their first purchase. And, and neither of those is a very good way of, of doing your, your marketing optimization. Your 90-day CLV is significantly better. It is, it is. And I, I guess it'd be product dependent. If you're selling furniture, you know, there, there are only so many times you, you're going to buy a sofa, for instance, um, as compared to um, clothing or, or electronics or, you know, a book. That is completely true. Yeah. CLV becomes ever more important as your customers buy more frequently from you. Yes. Interesting. Very, very interesting. Okay. So average growth rates, what sectors are seeing the fastest growth in e-commerce? I know people want to hear some people who are looking to entrepreneurs will be looking to find out what's up because my, my hunch is, 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 has been fashion. I sent out a tweet to the big commerce to big commerce and I was just trying to figure out what um you know what the because they they, they sent out this annual reports and growth and everything but they, they seem to have missed out you know the biggest sector well fastest growing sector so uh, what what is from from your from from your analysis what what's been or your reports been fastest growth um rate sector in, in e-commerce did uh, did big commerce not say anything about they said that they were going to come back to to me i was trying to figure out what the biggest sectors are i, I was just, it was not actually growth it was more what are the biggest sectors in e-commerce i was trying to figure out yeah we we were really interested in answering that question we we came into this report with some hypotheses that we wanted to research and, and one of the biggest ones of those was i i bet that companies in different sectors grow at different rates and based on our analysis, we found that that wasn't true. We have this graph in the report. And so our four biggest sectors are health and beauty, housewares, apparel, and food and drug. And so if, if you actually chart those companies' growth over time, it's really hard to say that there's a difference between uh, the way that they grow. And, and I think that, that, is actually, that that's actually a wonderful thing. My guess is that there is this bias towards sexiness that shows up in, in the press. And, you know, it's very easy to talk about a fashion company. You know, you look at that, and, you know, it's relevant to everybody. Everybody wants to look like the models that are on their homepage. You know, those companies are growing quickly. But something like Bark & Co., how many times is TechCrunch going to write about Bark & Co.? I don't know. Maybe they wrote about them a bunch. But they're not a company that I see covered a lot. But you can find these passionate groups of, of customers who are looking for a better solution. And there's a lot of room to grow there. Mm. 
Mm. So, so I, I think it transcends industry. It goes down to the features you were talking about, the four features, frictionless commerce, building communities around you, the editorial. But um, I, I guess it's down to, to those four features, really, um, if you can get those fundamentals. right. And obviously, having a, a, a fantastic product, okay, the try-before-you-buy experience is the fourth one. Um, is, is that the case in terms of growth? Um, if you get those four fundamentals in any sector right, then you're geared to, to, to growing rapidly. Yeah, I think that that's right. And I, I really think that maybe the try before you buy experience isn't relevant everywhere. I was just thinking about what if you run an online pharmaceuticals? I don't think you really want to try before you buy experience there. But I do think that really those four fundamentals are pretty universal. You can look at those regardless of what segment of the market that you're in. Okay. Um, next question has to do with growth rates again. A one million dollar company, a one million pound company is different to a hundred million pound company, a hundred million dollar company. How does size or revenue affect growth? There's this this concept that Jeff Jordan from Andreessen Horowitz, which is a premier uh, Silicon Valley investment firm, he says some of the smartest things in the industry uh, about e-commerce. And he calls this concept gravity. So if you're a $1 million company, it's not as hard to find 100% growth rate as it is if you're Apple computers, right? So like at a certain point when you're a massive company, it's really hard to find that that incremental dollar. Now, Apple seems to have done it recently. iPhone 6 is like blowing up, but most companies have a hard time. It's just kind of a law of nature that, that as you get bigger, it's, it's hard to keep up the same pace of growth. What we found was that if you are at a $1 million revenue uh, line, uh, or the best companies are growing at 223%. So, so if you're at 1 million in a year, you need to be above two. As soon as you get to 2 million in annual revenue, you're growing at 130%, which is significantly less. And when you get to uh, 9 million, you're growing at 100% a year. That's not really a qualitative Judgment. That is not to say that, you know, small companies are better than bigger companies. It's, it's not about that. It's just a, a kind of law of nature that it's harder to grow as quickly when you get bigger. It ties in with the innovator's dilemma concept. Uh, you know, when you grow, there's, there's less room for innovation the, the bigger you are. And the you know smaller companies that seem to be more nimble, and um, there's just more, much more growth and space for them to to, to expand if, if they get the fundamentals right. I guess. Yeah, I would say that's true. Uh, you know, nine million in annual revenue is a long way from the kind of things where innovators dilemma really starts to take over. Where you're talking about you know a company that's been around for twenty years, but but you're right. The underlying concepts are, are very similar. What we thought about these numbers is that it would help executives set growth targets. For their year, year growth. Okay. So, so, so the growth target for a one million dollar company should be two hundred and twenty three percent, and then when they get to about ten million, then they'll be more realistically looking at about a hundred percent. Yeah, and and that's average. So, if you're looking to really crush it, then take that and and try to do better. Right. Good stuff. Okay. So, what did did your report reveal in an average lifetime number of orders per customer versus average top performers? Yeah, so, so most of the report actually looked at companies by quartile of growth. So the biggest difference we found was that the population of e-commerce companies, if you look at them in aggregate, the, there was this nice flat growth line. But if you break them down by quartile, so the best 25%, the next, the next, the next, the top quartile really produced a large majority of the growth. 
they really separated themselves from the pack. And so, so once we found out that, the rest of the report was looking at the, the performance of these, these top performers versus everybody else. And the, uh, the number of orders that these top companies got per customer was seven. And compared that to the bottom three quartiles, they had an average of three orders per customer. It's more than double. And, and I guess that ties into average order value. Did you see something similar in, in similar trend in average order value? Literally on every one of those metrics that we talked about before, the top performing companies were better on every single one of them. For average order value, quartile one, the best companies, had an AOV of $94. And the subsequent quartiles were 76 72 and 60 Okay, so how, how does customer lifetime value play into all the other metrics? If you look at number of purchases and average order value of those purchases, your customer lifetime value is kind of a, a multiplication of those two things. When we combine the fact that AOV and number of repeat orders were stronger for the, uh, the top performing companies, you see that customer lifetime value for these top performers is actually 5x higher than the, the next quartile. So the very best companies have a CLV of $3,600 and quartile two has a CLV of $770. So like really dramatically different. And I would just add, like, I'm just saying this because I think it's super fascinating, but people listening really should download the report because hearing me talk about this is way less interesting than actually looking at the visualizations. That's exactly what I was going to say. So, so, um, they, they just head off to, to RJE metrics. I'm, I'm going to link to, to, to where they can download it. It's, it's on your website. So just to, to, to wrap things up, what do you think the outlook for e-commerce is going to look like in, in 2015? Oh gosh. I think that the seeds that we are seeing from some of these early experimenters in the space are really what is going to continue. So delivering not the like the in-store experience, but on your couch, it is going to be completely different shopping experiences. And I think that companies are going to increasingly deliver instead of just products, they're going to deliver a better experience in the way that Plated does, where you just don't have to think about what you're going to buy at the store. They're just going to give you good stuff. Uh, and and this really is omni-channel marketing, you know, in, in, in the much more established retailer industry. Traditional retailers are battling on how to, 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 to deliver a unified experience from an omni-channel standpoint. And, um, and, you know, and, and then they want to sort of replicate it, not just on, on, on the web, but on mobile devices. Yeah. I was just going to say mobile. You could say it's e-commerce. It's, it's also very similar to Uber. It's kind of humans as a service, but Instacart, I, I really like Instacart. I started personally using it uh, a month ago and there have been a, a couple bumps in the road. You know, I got, I got white grapefruits instead of red grapefruits and, you know, maybe that's a little bit annoying, but it's, it's really wonderful to be able to ask for some groceries and they literally come like 90 minutes later. And, and the whole experience is so mobile focused when the shopper is at the store they uh, they call me and they say, hey, we don't have this. We're, I'll get you this instead. And then afterwards, uh, to do customer feedback surveys, they uh, they send you a text message and you just respond with a one through five. That's exciting. We don't have Instacart yet in, in the UK. But, oh, really? Uh, yes. No, we don't. I might be wrong. Not, not here in Oxford. Okay. Interesting. Right. So... What three metrics should should businesses, ambitious businesses, business owners listening to this podcast, you know, keep a close eye on in, in 2015? Mm-hmm. Okay. I would say 
if I had to pick three, and I don't like picking three because there are so many, but if I had to pick three, I would say look at the growth in new customers that you're getting. So is that growing at a healthy clip month over month? And then look at the percentage of your revenue that's coming from repeat customers because even though you want to grow your new customers all the time, it's very expensive to get a new customer and it's much less expensive to have an existing customer come back for more. And so you want to make sure that you're seeing that behavior happening. You want to see more than 50% of your revenue coming from repeat purchases. And then the last one is you want to be looking at your ROI for your acquisition channels on a customer lifetime value basis. So you want to make sure that you are not spending money acquiring customers that don't pay back. Right. The benchmark you said, so you suggested it was 90 days, but that can change dependent on, on the type of business you have in terms of customer lifetime value. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's based on uh, your specific needs. And um, without being too salesy, how can RJ Metrics help? Well, the funny thing is, this report, because it's measuring our customer data, it it is such a wonderful, I mean, hey, any of, any of you listening, if you're ever going to work at a SaaS company, benchmarking is such a great marketing tactic because all of this leads directly to exactly what we help our customers with. If you care about these metrics, these are exactly what we measure for our customers and these are what we help people optimize. Okay, interesting. I can't, I'm on your website now and I can't seem to see pricing. Um, is, is it intentional or...? We had pricing up for a while and we're currently in the middle of, of changing things up a little bit. I actually am a little bit out of the loop on that. But what I can tell you is that our strategy is specifically to work with companies as they grow. And so we definitely work with startups all the time. We don't want to, we don't want to price anyone out of the game because most of our biggest companies started with us before they made a million dollars right okay okay so so would they be looking at investing about above a thousand dollars a month with with you guys yeah so if if a company that's that's like at scale comes to us our i think our minimum price today is 1500 but again we don't want to turn anyone away um because so you're flexible for startups in on a case-by-case basis sometimes yes Okay, Tristan, really great to have you on the show. I'm going to round up by asking you what books and resources um, about growth you'd recommend to, to listeners and retailers. Hmm. I, I would actually point people to, to Lean Startup. I, 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 maybe that's like overhyped and, and everybody talks about that. But Lean Startup is the kind of book that I read every year because it, it really informs the entire culture of, of our business. Like, it shows you how to run a business focused on learning new things. And that's really what all of us who are growing companies need to be doing. They need to be focused on learning as an output as opposed to just revenue. That's, that's a really good one. So you, you read it every year. Well, it's all about learning and cycles and iteration. Right. Okay. So that's really good advice. Finally, how, how can our audience reach you or get in touch if they wanted to, to, to find out more about RG Metrics or just connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Our website is predictably rjmetrics.com and you can find us on Twitter at rjmetrics. I would love to hear from anyone who happens to listen to this. My Twitter is at JT Handy. JT Handy, okay. All right, good. I, I also have a link to, to your Twitter handle and um, all, all of this on, on the show. Thank you so much, Tristan. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, I've had a great time. Thanks so much. Good stuff. See you. All right, have a good one. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of 2X e-commerce. To help you get more actionable insights and e-commerce growth hacks that will help you 2X your online retail business, hop over to 2xecommerce.com. It's a blog dedicated to e-commerce and multi-channel marketing run by the show's host, Kunle Campbell. 2xecommerce.com is packed full of articles and guides to help increase traffic to your store, increase repeat purchases, and average order value. Thanks for listening. Visit 2xecommerce.com.